I'm, I'm really excited. You guys know that I love starting a new series um, because it's so many possibilities. We don't know where the Lord's going to take us as we unpack his word. How's he going to change us over the coming months as we sit in the book of Mark? That's exciting to me. I'm, I'm really, I get, I get jazzed about that, you know, learning more about Jesus. Um, we are starting the book of Mark today in a series called Follow Me. And a little bit about Mark before we dig in. Mark was the first gospel written historically. It was the first one written. Mark, we think, got all this, these stories from the testimony of Peter. And that's where he got these stories about Jesus. And he writes in a very action-oriented way. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a little bit more teaching. Uh, Matthew documents Jesus stopping and, and teaching for chapters and chapters. Mark's more portrays Jesus as like an action superhero. If you read through the book of Mark, you'll see the word immediately over and over and over again. And, and Mark is just pushing the story along and showing uh, Jesus and his disciples who are following after him. Even though Mark moves very quickly, we're going to move even more quickly through Mark. We're going to go through um, 16 chapters in about 10 weeks. And so we're going to sweep along. And if you want to dig deeper as we go, if you want to actually read section by section, one of the ways our church is going to do that is through our daily devotional. You can download the app, New City HH, click on that little purple circle that says Daily Devo, and every day there'll be a little reflection as we go through the book of Mark. So if you want to cover every verse in the book of Mark, that's one way to do it. Just pull out your phone, hit Daily Devo, and you'll see uh, myself and other people from the congregation will have written little devotional thoughts and prayers from that particular text for that particular day. Another way you can dive deeper into the theme of Mark is by joining a, a 117 group. We're going through this book together, Follow Me, which is also the title of our sermon series. And the 117 groups are, are, are off and going. There's four of them, so there's plenty of options. They meet Tuesday night. Wednesday night and Saturday morning, I believe. Uh, so lots of options for you there. My hope for you, though, as we go through the book of Mark, is that if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity, like you're not sure what you believe. Maybe you're coming from a background of no belief or uh, other spiritual beliefs. My hope is that as we go through the book of Mark, we can help you wrestle with what Christianity is all about and what it means to follow Jesus. If you aren't following Jesus, our hope is that through the book of Mark, you might actually be drawn to him. If, if you're a new Christian and you are following Jesus, my hope is that we can just help you take the next step of what it means to deepen your relationship with him and walk more radically with him. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time, my hope is that you're re-energized in following Jesus as we go through the book of Mark. My hope is that you're re-energized to follow him. Because the call from Jesus is, follow me. Follow me. It's an invitation to discipleship, to submit ourselves under him and let him be the master and us be the student. Let him be the teacher and us be the follower. And, and we lose the, the deepness and the meaning of the word follow in our culture. The word follow has gotten watered down. And here's why, because if I were to say, follow me, you'd go to my Facebook page and you'd click follow, right? Or you go to inst my Instagram account and you'd get to see pictures of me and my family or of the church or something like that. 
And what Jesus is talking about is something different. He's not talking about sitting down and watching something or being a fan of something. He says, follow me. We're told by the culture to follow other things. We're given permission by the culture to follow our addictions or follow our goals or our dreams or our hearts. And yet, in the midst of all that, Jesus continues to look at us, sees the desires of our soul, sees our longings and says, follow me. I think people are open to following Jesus, though, as long as they get to define who Jesus is. One of the things I've found is that people are willing to follow Jesus as long as they can call him my Jesus. See, sometimes when people are confronted with difficult things that Jesus says, their response is, well, my Jesus wouldn't say that. And Jesus' response is, I did say that. So we're not called to follow our version of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Follow the real me, not your version of me. And we're called to follow him. You see, we'll thank Jesus. We'll praise Jesus. We'll theologize and philosophize about Jesus. But will we actually submit ourselves under his leadership and follow him? We go to meet Jesus at church on Sunday, but do we follow him on Monday? Jesus looks at all our spiritual ranting and raving and says, follow me. Follow me. That's the title of today's sermon as well as the title of our sermon series, Follow Me. Today we're looking at the book of Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to break down the sermon into two simple points. Anybody, can anybody take a guess at what those two points are? Follow me. Follow me. Me. We're going to start with me and then look at follow secondly. But let's pray and then we're going to open God's word. Lord Jesus, we're just here. We're here to sit under you, to learn from you, to be transformed by you. And I pray that through, uh, through this time of opening your word, that you might truly change us. That you might bring a longing to follow you for those who do not long to follow you that you might bring an encouragement for those who are stumbling as they follow you, and that you might re-energize all of us as we see the greatness of who you are and your invitation to us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, the first point we're going to do is me. We're starting with the me, and then we'll do the follow later. But here's a scripture from Mark 1, 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of God. Amen. Follow me. We're starting off with me. And Mark starts off the gospel with a bang. It's like the beginning of a Star Wars movie where the screen is black and then out of nowhere trumpets come and say, Mark announces the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the son of God. He's laying all his cards on the table in the very first sentence of the book. He says that the gospel is about Jesus. And when we hear that word gospel, we often think about it in religious terms. We think about gospel music or even the good news gospel that we talk about so often. But the people who originally read this first sentence wouldn't have necessarily thought that same way. The people who first read this were probably Christians that lived in Rome and were part of house churches. And when they thought of the word gospel, they thought of a joyful announcement of someone who was victorious. A joyful announcement of someone who had come into power. They would think about it more politically than they would spiritually. And so right away, Mark is letting them know someone has ascended to power. And this is good news. The one who has ascended to power is Jesus Christ. Christ is a title that means the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the, the one who is a royal figure and would enter into the world stage to administer God's rule on earth. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of of God. Now, when we hear the word Son of God, we might think of the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the original hearers of this book would not have thought in the same way. You see, on Roman coins around that time, Caesar had put his picture on each of the coins. And underneath his picture on the coins read the phrase, Divi Filius, Son of God. Son of God. And so when Mark says that Jesus is the Son of God, he's saying that this person has authority. And it's a challenge to Caesar. Now, that would have been very comforting for the original hearers of this book because they were facing a persecution in Rome from those in power. And yet they hear that there's good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God the true son of God who has divine authority. Mike, Mark writes all this in the first verse to show us that Jesus is a big deal. 
Jesus is a big deal. He throws all his cards on the table right away and just expects us to adjust. This is the me and follow me. Jesus is a big deal. And right off the bat, this should confront our view of church. Because so often we're told to just pray a prayer or go to church on occasion so we can make sure things are all right with God. Or even like, let's get a little religion. But what Mark is saying here is, no, you don't quite get it. Someone has come on the stage that is the biggest deal. And everything else for everyone else has to adjust because he has entered in. He is good news. He is the rescuer. He's the authority. He's going to change everything. And so that requires that you change, that you make a change. And that's why John the Baptist came. That's why John the Baptist came before Jesus. He proclaimed a message that people needed to make a change. People needed to make a turn. People needed to radically shift their lives and get ready for this one who was coming. People needed to repent. People needed to repent. And that's the ministry of John the Baptist. He was getting people ready to turn and see Jesus, turn away from their empty religion and turn away from their self-centered living and turn so that they could see Christ coming. The other day I was out here on Foster Road and marching in the MLK parade. And after it was over, I turned and walked back uh, towards the parade and I saw a, an elected official coming towards me. And, I, and I'd met her once and she didn't remember who I was, of course. But as I looked on each side of her, she had an assistant on each side. And I did know her assistants. I've met them before and I've emailed them before. And one of them's even come to one of these services. And, and I made the mistake because I was more familiar with the assistant. I kind of walked right by the elected official and stuck out my hand to the assistant instead of the one who was a big deal. And the assistant kind of looked at me like, bro, what are you doing? And he like gave me this little, you know, and I was like, oh, and I turned. I turned to go and look at the one who was more important. And it was kind of an awkward situation because she knew I'd, I'd bypassed her and gone to the assistant. But his job was there to turn me to her. And I've even seen where elected officials have assistants that go ahead of them. And they say, Linda, Senator so-and-so is here. Would you turn and, and receive them and give a handshake? Would you turn towards them? And that's what John does. John gets people to turn away from whatever they're doing and turn and look for Jesus coming. John baptizes those who are willing to turn. And it's not just a turn where you reach out and give Jesus a handshake. It's where you drop whatever you're doing and turn and look to him and do whatever he's doing. And those who recognize that they'd fallen short of God's law, those who recognize that they were living uh, spiritually, and they were living uh, empty religion out or even self-centered living, the repentance was a break from that towards Jesus. It was a break from self-centered living, from putting themselves on the throne and recognizing that they'd offended and violated God's law and that they needed forgiveness. And so John helped them turn towards the one who was coming and baptized them as a symbol of spiritual cleansing. The amazing thing though, 
is that when Jesus comes to the place where sinners are repenting and those who have broken God's law are being baptized for their cleansing, he doesn't stand on the, on the banks of the Jordan watching sinners confess their sin. He enters into the baptismal waters with them. Instead of overseeing the baptism of sinners, he enters into the water with sinners and is baptized with them, even though he's sinless. Even though he's sinless. Jesus steps onto the scene. Jesus, the big deal. Jesus, the one who everyone's supposed to turn towards. He steps into ministry and he doesn't start his ministry by distinguishing himself from sinners, but rather identifying with them, stepping into the waters with them, though he is sinless. Why? Why would Jesus, who is the biggest deal, step in to be identified in the baptismal waters with sinners? Well, Mark wants us to see that it's a sneak peek of who Jesus is, who the me is, and why he has come. One of the most important verses in the book of Mark comes from chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Even as Jesus starts off his ministry, he's giving us a preview that he has come to lay down his life. He has come to die on the cross to reconcile sinners to God. Though he is the biggest deal, he comes as a servant. He comes to offer himself up. After he comes up out of the water, it says that the heavens open and the spirit descends like a dove on him, representing the spirit's empowerment of his mission. And then a voice from heaven comes and it's God the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Tim Keller points out that one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't need to distinguish himself is because he's totally different than you and I are. Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, is in relationship with God the Father and God the Son, and the way they work is constant self-giving love. They operate in mutual honor. Keller compares it to standing on a stage and all of us are trying to hog the spotlight and get attention for ourselves but the way God works is fundamentally different. God the Father loves to affirm the Son. God the Spirit loves to empower the Son. They live in this relationship of mutual honor and self-giving love. And so when Jesus steps on the scene, he doesn't have to say, here I am, everyone look at me, because the way he operates is completely different than you and I. Jesus has no need to shine the spotlight on himself because the other members of the Trinity are already shining the spotlight on him. He's full of self-giving love. And one of the things Mark points out throughout the book is what, he, is what is called the messianic secret. Whenever Jesus does something that sort of shows that he's the Messiah, the chosen one, rather than standing up and saying, here I am, he says, shh, don't tell. It's not time yet. Don't tell. Keep my messiahship a secret until the right time. 
Jesus does, has no need to distinguish himself because he's come to serve sinners and because he's part of the Trinity where there's a relationship of self-giving love and mutual honor. And to show that, he follows the Spirit next into the wilderness. It says that the Spirit draws him out of this place where he is being affirmed and empowered to a place where he's one-on-one -on -one with Satan. Now, you might not believe on, in Satan. You might think that that's a myth or whatever, but it makes sense that if, there is, if God is the personification of good, that there would be a person who represents all evil. And that's what the Bible teaches about Satan. But the amazing thing about Jesus going one-on-one -on -one with Satan is he's there for 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. And I thought about the other day and I thought, you know, all of us have a breaking point. And if you and I were put in a room with something or someone for a long enough period of time and that thing was tempting us, you and I would eventually cave. We're human. That's why the Bible says flee from temptation. We're not supposed to go towards it because we can't resist it. All of us have a breaking point. All of us have something that we would give into, but not Jesus. Jesus is put one-on-one -on -one with the devil for 40 days in the wilderness and he does not cave. And what he's basically tempted to do is very sneaky. He's tempted to do God's mission Satan's way. He's tempted to do what God really wants him to do, but take all the shortcuts that Satan offers him. Mark doesn't tell us about the conversation with Satan, but Matthew does. And Matthew tells us that the temptations are to, that Jesus has are to glorify himself by doing his own thing apart from relationship with God. Step out of relationship with the Father and just show me how powerful you are on your own. He's also tempted to use his authority and power to prove himself, to show who he really is, or to use his authority to gain a following, but without sacrificing, serving, and suffering. He's tempted to do God's mission, Satan's way. He's supposed to gain a following. He's supposed to show his power, but he's tempted by Satan to do it in Satan's way. And Jesus says, no, no. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus says, no. Jesus has no interest in evil. He's completely resistant to evil. Even when he could be tempted by evil, he does not give in to that temptation. Evil rolls off his back because he is leading an invasion against evil. He is leading an invasion against evil. Mark continues to tell us that when Jesus comes into Galilee, he proclaims the good news of God saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus, Jesus is leading the invasion of God's kingdom into Satan's territory. He's resistant to Satan. He doesn't succumb to the temptations from Satan because he's there to crush Satan. He's there to lead the invasion of God's kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. We're to look at these first verses in Mark and see that, that Jesus bids us, through me, there's good news. In me, the kingdom of God has arrived. From me comes the light that chases away the darkness. 
Turn towards me, me, and believe. This is the me and follow me. And I hope you're a little overwhelmed because if you're overwhelmed, it means you kind of get it. Mark packs the first 15 verses with a punch of who Jesus is. And we're meant to feel small compared to Christ. Because we're talking about good news. We're talking about victory. We're talking about a Messiah who would step onto the stage of the world and change everything. One who had divine authority. One who would identify with sinful, broken people and confront evil head on, bringing God's restoration right here and right now. That is the me and follow me. Because I want you to see that Jesus is calling you into a movement. Jesus is not calling you to show up to church on occasion, to get a little religion. What Jesus wants to do is so much bigger than that. Now we show our faithfulness to him by showing up at church and following him, but, but we're following him in this worldwide movement of the kingdom of God. And that is exciting to me. It's exciting to think about what Jesus could do as we follow him into our city. And so let's look at that point, follow. We're gonna go Mark 1, uh, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We know from the book of John that Jesus had probably been introduced to some of these men before. This wasn't the first time he met them when he called them. But the way that Jesus does discipleship was totally different than the culture of that day. At about age five, young men began studying Torah, the law of God, and they were to learn as much as they could of it. And if they showed promise at age 13, they might memorize the Old Testament. And if they showed flexibility in learning, at age 17, they would approach a rabbi. And they would ask that rabbi if they could follow him. And the rabbi would go through a process where he would listen to, to where this person was coming from and, and what they believed, because the rabbi desperately wanted them to adopt every single part of his teaching so that they could pass 100% of that teaching on in the future. The weight was on the follower to seek after the teacher. There were differing schools of interpretation. And so the rabbis were very, they scrutinized uh, their students because they wanted them to follow them to a T. And then Jesus steps on the scene and approaches men who evidently didn't show much promise because they had aged out of the system and they had joined the family business and they were fishermen from Galilee. Can anything good come from Galilee? Galilee was seen as sort of like the podunk town. And here these gruff fishermen are in the family business and Jesus initiates 
with them. Jesus approaches them and Jesus selects them. And notice he doesn't say, follow me and we'll learn Torah. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. His words are pointed though. Though he's incredibly flipping the system and being gracious by selecting people, his words carry weight. It's almost like, come, follow me now. He's pointed with them and he's disruptive. It's right in the middle of everything else they've got going on. It's not even like they're doing anything bad. They're just part of the family business and yet Jesus steps in with authority and says, follow me. I think that's insightful for us because a movement like the movement of Jesus and the kingdom of God isn't something that we can really keep on the side and put off until retirement or till we finish school or till we figure out if this thing's gonna work out with a special someone. Jesus steps in right now and says, follow me, follow me. And his invitation to follow is more important than anything else, even good things. It's more important than our relationships. It's more important than our life agendas or our life goals. Jesus steps in in a disruptive way and with authority says, follow me. I love that he tells them the goal. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's instructive for us as we think about following Jesus because we think follow Jesus and I'll become very smart theologically. Follow Jesus and my life will get better. Follow Jesus and I'll find that special someone that I've been looking for. No, he says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He's telling them, join in the movement of God's kingdom and I will teach you how to gather people as part of God's kingdom under the reign of King Jesus. It will be costly to follow Jesus, but nothing could be of more significance. I think the reality is though, if you're honest, you already have some hangups about following Jesus. You have some hangups about following Jesus. One that I've heard is, listen, I like Jesus, but if I follow him, aren't I gonna get kind of too religious? I don't wanna be one of the, like one of those religious nuts that gets crazy about their views and pushes others down who, do, who don't agree. Let me, let me push back against that. We're not talking about getting a little religion. Christianity and following Jesus is not advice. It's good news that you respond to. Religion is advice on a certain way how to get to God. Good news is the announcement of what God has done through King Jesus. And following him is merely responding to that. In other words, it's not about you. Jesus approaches these men who are in humble circumstances. They have nothing to offer him. And yet Jesus says, because of me, I want you to follow me. So where in that is the right to push other people down? and grow and become arrogant. There's no way if you follow Jesus and you understand who he really is, that you can also simultaneously become religious and push other people's down. The other hang up is I've heard is, listen, I like the church thing and I like the God thing, but the following Jesus thing, I'm not really sure I wanna add that in because that part seems costly. I like to go to church and I like to worship God, 
but I'm not sure I want to do this follow Jesus thing. You need to understand this. You can't know God apart from knowing and following Jesus. You can't separate them out. Jesus is leading the movement of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's calling people to follow him as the son of God. So you can't do church and God and then leave following Jesus out. Jesus says, follow me. Another thing I've seen is that people like the privatized view of following Jesus. In other words, Jesus and me. You know, I'm, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And what that means is I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna pray. And when I'm doing bad things, I'll stop and I'll ask for his forgiveness and I'll try and get all my life in order. But this fisher of men thing, uh-uh, I'm not into that. And people have various reasons. I know a lot of you are introverts, right? You hear go out and make fishers of men, you're like, oh no, I'm out. Let me encourage you, discipleship is not a private affair. It's not a private affair that has no bearing on the world around us. It's not about following Jesus until we die and go to heaven, but following Jesus as he brings the government of heaven into our broken world. Brian Wilkerson says, Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. He said, follow me and I will send you out into the world. The gospel isn't just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and mission. It's about Jesus and others. It's about following Jesus for the sake of others. And the reality is probably some of you are Christians today because someone was following Jesus and shared him with you. And that should drive us out of ourselves to, from a privatized view of, of following Jesus to understanding what his goal is, to change the world, to make fishers of men, to bring the kingdom of God into this city. Richard Stearns was a lucrative CEO and he had an opportunity to take over a small organization that helped feed hungry kids around the world. And he really wrestled with this privatized view of discipleship. It's just me and Jesus. But as he began to see the risk involved in taking over this small little struggling nonprofit, he decided that following Jesus wasn't private and he needed to take a risk. And he became the leader of this organization that's now called World Vision. That has literally changed the world. All because this one man stepped in and said, it's not just about me. Following Jesus is not about me and Jesus, it's about me and Jesus together in the world. I know that frightens some of you if you're honest because you're stepping into the unknown, you're trusting Jesus to lead you and you don't know what that will bring. You don't know what that will bring. And that's where you need to go back to the first point of the sermon. You have to remember the me and follow me. You have to remember the person who identifies with sinners, who has unbelievable authority and yet has come to serve. This is the leader we've been waiting for. Don't love safety so much that you don't step out. Maybe for you, it's not taking over a small struggling nonprofit. Maybe it's simply starting with this. Jesus, I have an addiction and I need your help. I wanna follow you and give you this and I wanna learn how to walk in health. Rather than submitting to my addiction, I wanna to submit to you. Or maybe it's as you walk with Jesus, maybe your first step is, 
You know, Jesus, I don't agree with what you say on something, but I'm gonna take your perspective on it, even though I don't agree with it. I'm gonna submit to what you say rather than what I think. Or maybe it's simply this, maybe it's just going next door and knocking on your neighbor's door and introducing yourself and taking a radical risk and telling them about your faith in Jesus. We'll never know unless we take that first step. And I know all of you are already, right now you're imagining going next door and what that conversation will look like. You're imagining following Jesus and letting go of your addiction in that moment where you fail. You're imagining what it looks like to take his perspective on things even though you don't agree. And you go, but I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna fall. I'm not gonna follow Jesus perfectly. I'm gonna let him down. Guess what? You didn't tell Jesus anything he already didn't know. When Jesus goes and selects these men to disciple him, he is not dealing with the cream of the crop. Mark will tell us throughout his gospel that these men are hard-hearted. They're spiritually weak. They're easily tempted and even dim-witted. They fail Jesus over and over. They fail to get it. And yet that doesn't stop Jesus. That doesn't stop Jesus from leading them. You are unqualified to, to follow Jesus and you will fail in following Jesus. But that doesn't stop Jesus from calling you to follow him. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week in the calling of Matthew, as Jesus calls Matthew to follow himself. But let me end with this. The result is of following Jesus is this. He will make you fishers of men and women. He will use you and change you so that you begin to reach out in our city and call people to Jesus, just like you were called to Jesus. And you don't get it right by trying hard. You don't get it right by um, being spiritually fit. That happens simply as you follow Jesus. In other words, the burden is on him. The burden is on him. He takes responsibility and our job is simply to follow. Follow me, Jesus says. His job is simply to be Jesus and your job is simply to follow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you that you, um, you call sinners to follow yourself. We ask that you would bring this deeper into our hearts, that you would change us, that you would make us more willing to follow and submit to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.